0: Would you please open your Bible to Luke chapter 7. We'll be investigating verses 11 through 17. So that's Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. So Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who died was being carried out, the the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And said to her, "Do not weep." Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, "Young man, I say to you, arise." And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, "A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people." And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as parents, it's easy to listen to this portion of Scripture and daydream and imagine what it would be like to yield such power. You might daydream about a voice so powerful that the dead are raised, and you think to yourself, imagine what that would be like to the ears of a child. The authority in your voice that would provoke a response of obedience with yes-please and thank yous. Or imagine having the power to alleviate any heartbreak. Whisper to your child, do not weep. And then, by the power of your words, remedy the situation and bring them joy. But how long before the power would become misused? How long before you would impose it on other children or other parents? Or anyone that does not please you, anyone at all. How long before your compassion evaporates and all you are left with is power? Our focus this morning as we explore Scripture together is the way of life meets death. And we'll look at this in two points the demonstration of Jesus' power and compassion, and second point, the response to Jesus' power and compassion. So Luke's narrative picks up soon afterward, or the next day, after the events of Capernaum, where Jesus heals the servant of the centurion. And with great crowds still accompanying him, Jesus comes to a town called Nain. Now not much is known about this town. Jerome, who was a Christian theologian who died in 420, claimed that in his lifetime the city still remained. But today no remains of the town has been found, but is believed to be a small town located about 32 kilometers southwest of Capernaum and about 9 to 10 kilometers southeast of Nazareth. So it has been a good effort to travel from Nan to C- uh, Capernaum, which also highlights the commitment of the crowds who follow Jesus. For us today, 30 kilometers does not seem like a very far drive. Apple Maps informs me that this would be like roughly Lethbridge to picture Butte but we are far more advanced in our modes of transportation, so 30 kilometers could have been your commute this morning to church. But now just imagine if you had to do this on foot. It's one thing to travel 30 kilometers to get somewhere, but for someone in that crowd, they would have had to travel back 30 kilometers to get back home. It's hard to relate to this type of commitment, because even if you want to argue that it would be comparable to a long drive, it's still not the same as dealing with the physical pain of walking a great distance or dealing with the thirst because of the dry and dusty conditions. The conditions would have been unpleasant. But as bad as it might have been for those traveling with Jesus Christ, we read that Jesus Christ, his disciples, and his crowds arrived at Naan, and Jesus, drawing near the city gates, is met, by a funeral procession. See, the funeral procession was making its way outside the city, walls to bury this man, a man who is the only child of a widowed mother. And not only does this mother have to deal with the sorrow of losing her only son, but now she is unprotected and alone. And do not let that great crowd fool you. The reality of widows in that culture in that day is that they are alone and they are unprotected. See, Jesus sees this woman and he has compassion on her. And the actions of Jesus Christ and his compassion for this woman speak volumes. Because unlike the centurion soldier, Jesus is not requested to act by an outside voice of elders. Who pleaded earnestly for his services? See, this widow is alone. Unprotected woman. Jesus is motivated purely by his compassion and not the plea of an outside voice. And his compassion for this woman, he is the first to act. He says to her, "Do not weep," which is an implied thing to say to someone who is mourning the loss of an only son which now leaves her alone and unprotected. This woman should weep. But Jesus says to the woman, do not weep because he knows his words are accompanied by power. So we see in verse 14 that we see that Jesus goes to the buyer and he stops it. Now the buyer, that's what they were using to transport the body. And we can think of this like a coffin, but commentators believe also it could be without a later a, a nicer plank of wood that they're carrying the body it would be open and the body would be covered in some kind of linen cloth which emphasizes another layer of the depth of the compassion of jesus christ because he goes right to the dead body jesus is not worried about the smell he's not worried about the filth he's not concerned about being coming ceremonially unclean he goes right to the dead body and touches the buyer, and the bearer's stop. See, Jesus did not have to get that up close and personal. Remember the centurion. Jesus Jesus could not even see the centurion's servant. He was stopped before he got to the house, yet the servant was healed. But Jesus acted out of his compassion for this woman not compulsion out of an outside voice. He is the one acting. So he goes up to the bears and they stop. But why? Did the bears know who Jesus was? Did his reputation precede him? Remember, scholars believe that this was 30 kilometers from Capernaum. Or maybe it was the large crowds that followed Jesus, leading the bears to believe that he was of some importance. Or maybe it was just the touch. The touch that made the bearers stand still. The text does not give us the reason why they stopped, but only that they did. And whatever authority that they thought Jesus had or did not have, they were about to get a first hand demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says to the dead man, Young man, I say to you, arise. With an imperative and a command from the mouth of Jesus, seven simple words in English, Jesus demonstrates power greater than his predecessors. Because remember, this is not the first time, the first resurrection in the Bible. Two prophets in the Old Testament performed the same miracle. Do you remember who they are? The first was Elijah in 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24, the son of a woman Elijah was staying with fell ill so severe that there was no breath in him. Elijah takes him up to the upper chamber. He cries out to the Lord and stretches himself over the boy three times, and he cries out to the Lord again. And the Lord listened to Elijah's voice. And the child's life came into him again, and he was revived. Elijah took the child and brought him from the upper chamber and delivered him to his mother. Next is Elisha, 2 Kings 4, 18-37. Elisha promised the Shunammite woman a son, and she has the son the following spring. And when the child grew older, the child complained about his head and soon after died. The mother hurries away with her son to see Elisha. Elisha saw the child lying dead on his bed, and he prayed to the Lord. Then he went late on the child, putting his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, his hands on the child's hands. He got off and then repeated the process. The child sneezed seven times, and he opened his eyes. Now out of these three resurrection events we see the same result the resurrection of a son. But what is different about them? All three have action. Jesus speaks. Both Elijah and Elisha stretch themselves over the children then they regain life. So we can clearly see the effortlessness of Jesus merely commanding the child to rise rather than having to lay over him. So there's a greater demonstration of power by Jesus Christ. But if you notice, what happens before they take action and try to resurrect the boy? There is something absent in Jesus Christ that is present in Elijah and Elisha. See, Elijah and Elisha have power, but only with permission. See, both of these Old Testament prophets pray and they cry out to the Lord before they revive the boy. But for Jesus Christ, he just commands. Young man, I say to you, arise. There's no prayer beforehand. There's no asking for the Father's permission. Just the command. Who is there like Jesus Christ that demonstrates such power that the dead rise from his commands? Who can call into existence the things that do not exist with such great power and majesty? Who wields such great power with compassion? Compassion for widows, for those who are alone, for those who are unprotected. See, man cannot wield this power. Samuel warns Israel what will happen if a man is appointed with power. He says he will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen. Appoint some to plow his ground and reap his harvest. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take your best fields, the vineyards, and the olive orchards, giving them to their servants. And the list goes on. And Samuel warns the people of the power of kingship. But imagine what would happen if man had the power of Jesus Christ. It would be all power with no compassion. But Jesus Christ, with all his power, shows great compassion. Do you see Jesus Christ's compassion in your life? Have you thought about how Jesus Christ's compassion has manifested in your life? What about his compassion for you and raising you from death to spiritual life? Do you see yourself laid out on the bier, Dead in your trespasses and sins? What stopped your funeral procession? It was not you. You were just lying there. The only thing you have going for yourself was the stench of death and the spoil of sin. There's nothing good about you. But Jesus Christ stopped your funeral procession. You could have easily proceeded right by. He did not have to stop the funeral procession. And this is the fate of some of humanity. But it was Jesus Christ's compassion for you that compelled him to touch the coffin, saying, I say to you, arise. See, Jesus Christ's compassion for you is the reason why he entered into creation. The one with all the power to raise the dead by the mere commands of his voice entered into creation. A world that was made through him. He came into this world not to be served, but to serve. He came not to take your sons and appoint them to be chariots and to be his horsemen, not to appoint some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, not to take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He came to serve his creation and offer his life as a ransom for the sins of his bride. Jesus Christ showed you his compassion for you in the greatest demonstration of love. And it accompanied power by conquering the grave and removing the sting of death for his bride. With such a great demonstration of power and compassion shown to the woman, shown to us, what should be the response to Jesus' power and his compassion? There's not much in this world that won't produce a response in people. But not all responses are proper and glorifying to God. Our text records the impact Jesus' demonstration of power and compassion had on his people. The most immediate response produced by Jesus was the dead man. Look at verse 15. It says that the dead man sat up and began to speak. No longer is the man dead, but he is alive. The man rose to life. Now, this was not a mere muscle spasm, but his heart was pumping blood through his veins. His brain sent signals to his muscles to move, and his mind started to think. So he spoke. This man was alive. And Jesus once again displays his compassion for the woman as he presents the son to her mother. And this is not an inconsequential act, but this act by Jesus parallels Elijah's miracle. Elijah also came to the mother with the child and said, see, your son lives. See, Jesus also takes the man who was once dead and gives him to his mother. No longer is the woman alone. No longer is this woman unprotected, but she has her son, and he lives. Now, this is not only just a kind deed done by Christ, but it would have painted the picture in the minds of the crowd So the crowd understands the reference because it produces in them the proper response to the events that just took place. Fear sees all of them and both the crowds. Now fear should be nuanced. See, this doesn't mean that the crowds became fearful of Jesus and fled for their lives. No, rather the text is indicating that fear, there's fear because something great had happened. Something that goes beyond their sense experience. As if to say, what just happened? This is not natural. This is not the normal order of creation. How did this happen? Who has this power? they were not afraid of Jesus because the fear manifests in glorifying God. The crowd was filled with awe and majesty because they started to glorify God. And the crowds glorified God for the miracle that they just witnessed and they made two confessions. First of which was to the healer and the second to the God who sent him. When the crowd acknowledges the healer, the parallel accounts of Jesus Christ and Elijah come to completion. They confess a great prophet has risen among us. See, Jesus Christ not only shows the crowds that he is a prophet doing the works of of the prophet, but also that he is a great prophet, that something greater is here, something that you have not seen yet. A prophet who has compassion and is not exercising his office out of compulsion, who draws near to his people, showing compassion for the widows. A prophet who does not have to pray and cry out to God, but carries the authority to carry out his office. A prophet who heals effortlessly with the power of his words. A prophet who is not merely man, but truly God and truly man. A great prophet had arisen among the people, greater than the world had ever seen. And as they continue to glorify God, the crowd praises the one who sent the prophet, confessing God has visited his people. These are the same words prophesied by Zacharias as he was filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 1. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God visits his people. He is not distant, not cold, not in compassion and compassionless. He provides for his people. He provides a prophet who was his only begotten son, who redeemed his people. See, God's pity for you was so great as you wallowed in your sin and your misery. He sent his only begotten son. His son was sent for you so that you would not be alone or unprotected but have redemption through the, his son. And the confessions made by that crowds that day did not stay limited to the crowds who observed these great works. Rather, they spread throughout the whole of Judea and the surrounding area. Remember, some of them had a long walk home. It was 30 kilometers back to Capernaum. And who knows where the rest of the crowd was from, but the fear and compulsion to glorify God continued in them as the news spread. It is incredible to think about. This is not a radio blast of information, the nightly reported news on our TVs. It's not an email forwarded to everyone on your contact list or a retweet of a viral video. It's spread by the word of mouth. It's not like Nahum was a busy downtown of a big city. It was off the beaten path. It would have been a great deal of effort to spread this message. Imagine the stamina needed to fulfill a 30-kilometer walk back to Capernaum, but also stopping and talking about this miracle that you have seen with everyone that you meet. Only a God-fearing zeal filled with awe and amazement would propel you to want to share your confession with everyone. See, this is the proper response to Jesus' power and compassion. A God-fearing zeal filled with awe and amazement of the works performed by God that compels you to confess the greatness of God and share that confession with with everyone that you meet. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, have you heard the call of Jesus Christ? I say to you, arise. Has it penetrated your muscles, causing a physical response? Has it infiltrated your heart and your mind, causing you to talk about it? Have you been raised to spiritual life? Are you alive to this reality? Are you awakened to true faith in Jesus Christ, a childlike fear of God, godly sorrow for your sin, and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness? Or are these things dead to you because you'd rather enjoy the quiet stillness of death preferring the comfort of the buyer. Or if you're grasped by anxious thoughts because you do not think that you're awakened to new spiritual life, be still and know that our God is compassionate, that he will not snuff out a smoldering wick, that he will not break a bruised reed. Continue to seek him out while he can be found, Repent and turn to him. Trust in Jesus Christ and you'll never be cast out. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are such a compassionate and wonderful God that you have sent your son to us, that we have redemption through him. We thank you, Lord, that Christ is compassionate, that he sees us in our weakness and our frailty, and he continues to love us and guide us along this Christian pilgrimage. We thank you that a great prophet has risen, that he could speak, and now we have his words recorded, that we know that we can trust and rely on his words because what he says is done. We see this by the raising of this widow's son. Continue to implant us a desire to know Christ's voice, to hear it, to follow it, and to love it. It's through Christ's name that we pray, amen.